0: This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with Certified Financial Planner, David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth-building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Okay, so welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, where we talk about the mindsets, tactics, and strategies to help you and your business to build wealth. So today, I have a good buddy of mine. They say if you have one of those dudes that'll, you know, show up at three in the morning to, to rescue you. I have one of those guys on the uh, on on the episode with me today. David. Redman. That's early.
1: There you go. Well,
0: all right. Maybe we won't call him till six a.m. But, there you go. Uh, but David Redmond is uh, he he leads a Bible study where a group of uh, a group of us we get together six a.m. on Fridays. We used to get together in person. Uh, now that virus has made us get together on Zoom calls and iPhones on Friday mornings. But um, it's something that we've all stuck with. And even though there's a little bit of pain with waking up that early and making it out, I think we all benefit uh, benefit for it. And we're going to be talking commercial real estate today. But, but David, first, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, about your family, and, um, and then we'll dive into some commercial real estate.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, uh, David. I always enjoy chatting with you about things that can really bless and benefit people. Um, I've only been in commercial real estate about four and a half years, but um, my wife and I have owned uh, small single family home r- rental properties for probably 15 years. And um uh, married to Amanda Redman. We have a little two-year-old boy, Michael Redman, and we're just hacking it out every day like the rest of everybody else, you know, just trying to turn sweat into equity and increase our cash flow.
0: Absolutely. And I've seen that little dude on your lap uh, on the Zoom calls, <laughs> uh, I was, I was reading through some scripture. So he's a, he's a pretty, good, uh, pretty good little dude. So you said you've owned some single family homes for quite a while. How did you personally get into that? And, and what has that done? For your personal cash flow, wealth, net worth, and all that um, all that good stuff.
1: Um, yeah, so we I was blessed to have a really strong job out of college. I was in medical sales, so we had I had some extra income, and the first deal that I bought was a little property over in a mill village. And a young lady was selling the property. It was her brother's house. And her brother had passed. And she was out of state. And she had a for sale by owner sign in front. And um, with just her cell phone number. And I think she was in Tennessee. So um, it was kind of already in my drive pattern. I was kind of driving these neighborhoods, just exploring the idea of buying my first single family rental property. How
0: much did that property cost? I mean, roughly, was it... 30, so thousand, we were under
1: or we were we were under 40,000. Okay. on our first one. And um and I just offered up to her just a 30-day cash deal, quick close. And instead of using my own cash, I actually had a home equity line already in place. And our equity was really already smart in our um in the residence that we lived in, and so I just used equity for What do you mean by
0: the, smart equity?
1: So we weren't upside down, you know, we, I think at that time, the home, that home was um, probably about a $250,000 home, but, you know, and that's what the market would, that's what buyers and sellers would exchange that property for about 250. Well, we only owed about 160 or so on, on the note. And so we had quite a bit of equity that we could play with. And there was very little risk because we were able to attach, you know, the value of the home. If we defaulted, somebody could capture that. So it was, it's good for a bank. It's good for a person that wants to buy their first property. Don't use cash potentially. Maybe look at um, doing a home equity line, which is how we did, and we bought our first deal um, with that. And then once I you know, ultimately sold that property, um, we made enough money to pay off the price of that home as well as um, selling that property and making money on the home we, that we were in. But um,
0: so do you remember what the monthly rent would have been on that property roughly?
1: You know, I think we started off pretty low. I didn't have much handyman skills. You know, it mm-hmm. was, uh, it was something I learned.
0: Is that before YouTube?
1: <clears throat> well, no, no, I'm not that old. Dang, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, most of the properties that I focus on are properties where plumbing and electrical was pretty much already done. If I need to pull carpet, repaint, and fix things, I can do that and change fixtures and fans. That's kind of my target audience when I'm looking at a new property. Um, and so that's kind of what this property was. And all of that was foreign to me at the time, honestly. But it made sense. Nothing scared me. And my price point was really low. I think my rent was like, I think it was in the sixes. So we bought it for a little less than 40 We ended up getting about 600 a month for it. Um, and I probably spent about $5,000 just getting it in rentable condition.
0: Right, right. So uh, someone in commercial real estate like you, I mean, are there some formulas on how much a, a property should rent for, are there multiples, are there factors? How do you determine what a $40,000 home or, or, or $10 million commercial space should rent for, is there a formula?
1: There's not really a formula because it's, you know, I think the the way to go about um, growing your own cash flow is to look at your strengths. Right? I don't have any strengths in the podcast environment. You do. This is a great way for you to grow presence and potentially create a, a cash flow stream. Um I have some handyman strengths and so I, I don't have a I don't have construction strengths. I don't have, you know, remodel a house. Then I didn't have remodel a house strengths. Um, and so I, but I knew I could improve a property. I could get everything working. I could fix outlets, you know, I could replace locks and repair some doors. Um, and so to answer your question, there's not really anything cut and dry, um, residential buying and selling, um, for rental properties and and as well as commercial property, um, commercial property has an infinite amount of, um, complexity to it. And it's all really about where that owner wants to where they have experience and where they can take that experience and put it into the environment to make money. And I didn't have any experience outside of just owning a home and trying to improve it. And we just were able to take this one down as our first one. Right. Right. So, so if I was going to give you an answer, you know, most people suggest that if you're going to get, if you're going to, my, my minimum would be if I'm going to get paid 600 dollars a month for it then i shouldn't pay over sixty thousand for it
0: okay okay
1: so that's that a metric sense. that some people use
0: yeah because you know roofs are going to need to be replaced hvacs are going to go out you have taxes you have insurance you have some other expenses as well um even you know if you don't have the ability you may even be hiring a property manager which uh isn't free either so you you have to have that revenue um absolutely. yeah so,
1: And I did we, we I did all that on my own. I received all the calls. Um, and tenants are tricky. So there's a learning curve and, and there's no books mm-hmm. <laughs> that you could read to kind of gear you up to prepare for the tenant landlord. You just start doing and be honest with people. Um, and you got to kind of be able to draw lines in the sand. It's almost like having extra kids.
0: (laughs) So then you have
1: to have some strong accountability and you got to do what you say, you know, Um, but you just got to learn through the process.
0: And I bet you there are some ways you can get yourself in trouble too, not knowing eviction laws or what your, what your, what your requirements are as well. I would, I would guess, have you made any, 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 any costly mistakes that you, you know, looking back, you would say, man, if I would, if I would have known, I would have done that differently.
1: Um, no, because I make sure my basis is where it needs to be. You make money when you buy. Okay. Everybody that chases cash flow knows that statement. You make money when you buy. Um, making sure your cost basis is smart based on the cash the a very reasonable cash flow goal, you know, from the asset is the most important thing. Because if you get too high in a deal, you know, if I had bought it for a hundred and was only getting um and was only getting six hundred a month, my taxes were gonna be higher because it's a more expensive property. My insurance is going to be higher because it's a more expensive, larger property, you know, and so you have to pass on a lot of things often.
0: Yeah. So, so I guess getting the right property at the right price is, 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 is a good thing, but sometimes you have to say, you know what, I like the property, but the numbers just don't make sense and and it's too, too risky. Right. So, yeah. Now, what did you exactly do right. with that? Um, so that six hundred dollars a month that you that you were getting in, what did you do with that? Did you spend it on going out to eat? Did you put it towards the next rental home? What What did you do with that money?
1: Um, it, you know, I early on before I did any rental stuff, I took like five or six years of stock classes, and I started basically. I built my own structure for a portfolio. And the way I look at it is um is you in your portfolio you want securities. In your portfolio you want um you know you want cash flow from some type of investment. And in your portfolio, oddly enough, uh you want some type of um uh you know, like gold or silver. That's just kind of how I think about it. And uh and we can circle back to that later, but to me, that makes a very strong stool. You got three legs of a, you know, balanced portfolio, and you're kind of pushing energies towards all of those areas. Uh, With this first first property, I probably just played with it. You know, I just enjoyed figuring out what I was doing. I built up some reserves Mm -hmm. with the cash flow. One of the things that you always need to do is you need to take two months of your income and attribute it to your taxes for the year and your insurance for the year, two months off the top gone. Mm -hmm. So I don't even do my metric with 12, you know, 600 times 12. I do my metrics, you know, when I'm targeting a property or targeting acquisition, I do my 600 times 10. I don't even account for two of the months of income because I go to taxes and insurance. So I took that money and and played with it, probably just because it was my first deal. But then we also, I just also just, you know, started saving up for the surprises of me being a new owner of an investment property.
0: Right, right, yeah, a lot of And there really
1: weren't, you know, there really weren't any. And fortunately, God has blessed us to probably have more in the storehouses than most, and more liquidity available to us than most. And so I haven't probably had that hard of a a go of it trying to make cash flow from no money i've always had a little bit of money in the bank to work Mm. with so i've been blessed in that Uh, really really blessed
0: yeah yeah but you know when you say reserves let's say that you had four or five or six or ten rental homes and let's say they were in seneca this week and that tornado comes through and now you have you know, forget about the possible loss of life or injuries. Let's say everybody makes that, but you have five or six or seven or 10,000 or $2,500 deductibles. You know, if you don't have those reserves, then this becomes a pretty, pretty rough time for you. So I would think that it's really important to have, have some money, money, you know, from each rent check going towards a reserve fund. Absolutely. So.
1: um, Yeah, we, I usually would split my money between um, three areas. Save for reserves, taxes, and insurance, and new acquisitions. Four areas save taxes and insurance, save for problems, and new acquisitions. And I would just, as soon as my money hit the account into a specific checking account just for rent checks, it would get separated out into the respective accounts to hold those funds in, in the event those, you know, whenever those next steps needed to be taken. Right. Taxes and insurance new acquisitions and any reserves. Yeah. And that's what every, that's basically what every highest profile investment property owner does anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what they do. I
0: think you, 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 you definitely have to do that. So I have some, some different money philosophies. Um, but, um, let's hear, you know, what does money mean to you? Um, you know, a lot of people think the Bible says money is the root of all evil, which it doesn't, but but what is what does money mean mean to you personally and to your family?
1: Mm. You know, I think money is a lot like words.
0: And in what way? That's uh unpack that for us.
1: Yeah, so I mean, what you do with your money is just another form of nonverbal expression. Okay. Nonverbal communication, you know whether it's you put your money in there, you drive your money, you know, you buy a new house to live in. That's an expression of your money. And so if God, you know, my blessing is so much more than I could ever make, Mm -hmm. you know, in money, money terms, like what I've been blessed with the way in which God has blessed me with a baby boy and a, and a bride and, and the opportunity to work is so much more than any money I could make. And so money is just like seed to me. If I was a farmer, it would just be like, I've got a bag of seed, you know, what do I need to do with it? Or I've got a, a, an allotment of time. You know, money is just another form of, of, or another opportunity to steward things well, to take what God has put in your hands and try to do your best to use it wisely, bless others with it, you know, sow it,
0: Yeah. put it in yeah. the
1: ground that's Mm
0: -hmm. how i view money yeah you know i look at it as a tool and and uh, you know they say money doesn't solve all of life's problems which obviously it doesn't you know we've all known very wealthy people that were miserable and and not to make light of it but there are many many wealthy people that you you would say how could you how could you not be happy when you have 10 million dollars 20 million dollars but but certainly there are problems but lack of money certainly does create problems i mean when that when that uh, cute little boy is hungry, if there's no money to buy food, that certainly creates, creates some issues. So I think we need a certain amount of it, but, but I agree totally that what we do with our money just says a lot about what's in our heart. Um, and you know, there's nothing wrong with even having some nice stuff, but sometimes when that stuff has you, it becomes a little bit of an issue, you know, at least for me. Um, Um, you know, a nice car is great, but if you're having a nice car, so you can prove that, you know, to yourself, that you have a higher self self value than somebody else. And maybe there's a little pride creeping into the, uh, into the issue where we could uh, need to need to check our, check ourselves uh, as well. I think one of
1: the, one of the cool, one of the cool things is um, that people don't talk about often when it comes to cash flow is for the most part, this has been my own experience. And I think when I reflect on my youth, you know my youth and my decision making in my youth informs this suggestion that I'm about to make, which is um, once you taste for the first time cash flow, it starts to compete against your other consumables. when I taste when I taste the satisfaction of buying a new property, fixing it up, and then getting rental income, and that cost me twenty five or forty five thousand dollars. It competes against my desire to buy a new car with 45 or buy IPTA tickets or even go on a vacation, which sometimes isn't good because my bride wants to do some vacations and so you have to moderate it, but it's just another appetite that you can foster. But most people, you tell them about like developing an appetite to build cash flow and they have no idea what you're talking about because they've never tasted it. Right. It's like saying, "Here, here's some sushi, but you've never tasted it. You're not going to have any frame of reference for what sushi's going to taste like." And the same is for people that ever have never experienced cash flow. They're always going to go buy something flashy to take its place. But then, once you buy something and create that cash flow, you realize that this cash flow is way cooler than that flashy thing that's just going to be a flash in the pan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in three years, it's going to be dated. Whereas your cash flow and your asset has you know stands to gain value, produce cash that you can eat on, provide stability and wealth creation for your family. It's way more sexy than buying one more widget that's mm-hmm. pretty.
0: Yeah, yeah, to me. I, I can totally see that. You know, and we're all humans, and a consistent stream of revenue and or some money in the bank. That helps us sleep better and, and it does reduce stress. Oh, yeah. And when you're less stressed out, you're a better husband, you're a better father, you're, you're better at everything when you're not worried about where that next meal is coming from or, or even, you know, there are wealthier people that are just extended too far and, and, you know, they may have a hundred thousand dollar property tax come and do that they don't know where it's coming from. And that certainly, certainly creates yeah. some stress right there. How about you and your wife? Do you, do you share the same money philosophies uh, with each other, you know, within reason? Or is that a source of, yeah, I think, I think a lot of marriages, sometimes that's a source of stress and disagreement.
1: It's a job in and of itself to um, steward the conversation between a husband and a bride when it comes to money in the household, you know, and we can steer away from it or we can steer towards it. Um, We are making a decision as to which way to steer. You know, you're not, just because you're not doing anything about it doesn't mean you're not making a decision. And I think our wives want to be involved. Not all wives, you know, not all wives care. Maybe that, maybe the home is, has affluence. And so there's not a kind of to collectively come together and build cash flow, Right. Um, Whereas that wasn't the case for ours. There wasn't, you know, money falling out of our pockets. And so I think for probably most of, um, you know, 10 years ago and 10 years into the future, Amanda and I are are just in the habit of, of um, bump, you know, having hard conversations, figuring it out, and trying to make good decisions together to grow our, ca- our property ownership, manage our cash flows and all that stuff. Um, when we, we were, this was probably a year and a half ago, we, I sat down and started showing her my, my Excel work, you know, and kind of showing her some models. And, um, and, I, and I was just kind of showing her my directive. About moving money here to fund here to get to get another employee or another cash flow stream in place, and um, she kind of she she we went away from the conversation, and of course it was more friction than smooth. <laughs>
0: right.
1: But we went away from the conversation, and she started like I just wanted to put it out there like a little seed that would kind of maybe hope to sow, and it did, and it and it rooted. And she came back to me, and she looked at me, and she's like, you know. I think we could live on my income and we should take all of your income and direct it into the into the um wealth creation envi- you know um leg of our initiative. And I looked at her and I was like, are you trying to have sex with me right now cuz that's some sexy talking you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and she said and get so, away from like, me you
0: pervert. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no, I didn't say that, but I mean like that's but I didn't like have to push the initiative. Right you know, I just said, this is something I'm passionate about. And um, it doesn't always play like that. But it's something that she, she has a heart for helping our family succeed too. And she right. took it and figured out how to apply it and came back to me. And, and once that happened, it's been together sharing the directive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've talked about your personal investments. How do you help other people, uh, whether they are you know just new getting into buying that $40,000 property or if it's you know a conglomerate looking to spend 50 100 million dollars on on commercial uh, you know what are your strengths and how do you help clients
1: um so right now uh about 3 months ago Amanda and I I resigned from CBRE about 5 months ago um it's one of the larger commercial real estate firms in the world and um and and she and I got together and we're just kind of brainstorming, and we decided to open our own shop called Legacy Real Estate Partners, and we're based out of Anderson, South Carolina. Really is to um, have smart conversations with people that are interested in and in making healthier decisions in regards to their money, in regards to their residential real estate and their commercial real estate, um, because we've owned properties for the fast past fifteen years we can definitely help people uh, make decisions with what they currently hold as their cash flow properties. And then also buying new. But, you know, I was in commercial real estate for four and a half years. Amanda was in commercial real estate for six years. At CBRE, I helped people buy and sell investment property ranging from, you know, 1 million all the way up to 25 million. I was on a team of guys that were doing that. And I don't see myself doing that in the future, you know, because one of the things I did discover after I resigned is that I'm, I'm more interested in helping people succeed. And I'm, I I thought that I would want to stay in that. I'm going to sell all the big stuff, but I just don't care. I get as much satisfaction right now out of listing my buddy's house in Pendleton. That's $250,000. And helping him make good decisions and answer, you know, understand foreclosures in his next buying environment. And I get as much satisfaction out of that as like helping some guy, another buddy who we're in negotiations of helping him sell a self storage facility. Right. So it's just, it's more of a relationship, you know, bump for me than it is a dollar bump because our cash flow is stable and I don't need to really chase any other real estate deals to grow my wealth. I do it because I really just enjoy the people and i and Amanda and I wanted to point our work energies into our um, community
0: yeah you know and and it's interesting when you 're an entrepreneur, there are so many different ways to have an impact on the world, and no one is necessarily better than others so there are probably people in your position that are helping with fifty million dollar properties, and that 's just their niche that 's what they do and that 's where they get fulfillment and that 's where they make a difference and um And you could do that, but you're choosing to go a different route and you're you 're going your way and And, um, that's just what I love about being an entrepreneur is that you have choices to do what you want to do. You know, they say as an entrepreneur, you only have to work 80 hours a week, but you at least get to pick which 80. And, um, and I think that's, uh, sometimes that's more, more true than, um, than it, than it needs to be. So,
1: you know, one of the things that I think is a good thing to mention is, um, as I teach over at Anderson Alternative. It's a local high school where the kids that get kicked out of um, public school come over to Anderson Alternative. Shout out um, to Mr. Dillingham that runs that facility over there, taking care of all those kids. He hustles over from Spartanburg every single day in the morning and the evening. And I go over there and I teach those kids financial literacy. And um, just a second, what you said, David, is, um, is is just because you got a lot of money don't mean you're wealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, you can bring a hundred, hundred K in a month and owe 110 and mm-hmm. me and my kids talk about that often. I'm trying to help them, um, establish some roots of understanding wealth versus money. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then also trying to coin a phrase, you know, that I try to get in their head is money doesn't grow on trees, but it grows like trees. That's true. And I don't think that grammar is entirely right, <laughs> but it doesn't, money does not grow on trees, but it grows like trees. You know, just because you put a seed in the ground, doesn't mean, it's going to grow. Just because you get a tree going, doesn't mean, it's going to all produce fruit, you know? So you got to be out in the field, getting your fingernails dirty and, um, and, and like, and pastoring, you know, pastoring to your peers You got to be receiving teaching from guys ahead of you. And I think it's important to be teaching down. If you want to be a good investment owner, teach the people below you. You'll learn a lot of stuff that you're missing. It'll help you make better decisions when it comes to cash flow.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I just interviewed uh, last week Tom Corley, who's an author. He wrote a book called Rich Habits. And what he did, he did an an analysis of... Uh, and he's up in New York. So the definition of rich as far as numbers is bigger than down in South Carolina, but there were certain things and it's not a judgmental thing, but a certain things that rich people do consistently. And there are certain things that quote poor people do consistently. And these kids that you're working with, if they weren't told any differently, they would be buying, you know, when they get older, three meals a day from fast food. So that's, that's, um, creating health problems but it's also whatever 15 20 a day on disgusting food um and and i think that um what he determined as rich like 80 percent i believe of of the quote rich people had some sort of a library in their house which would have been yeah. at least a bookcase and then almost none of the quote poor people had any books at all so it's not to look down on poor people it's to help them because there are habits that lead to success and fruits. then there are habits and your habits are always working for you or against you. Um so there are habits that are definitely working against you and I and 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 other people as well. That um and if you look at, you know, if you go kind of in the quote bad parts of town, there are different types of businesses in those parts of town as opposed to the uh upscale uh parts of town. So you know a lot of a lot of where we are financially is behaviors. And and I hate that because um when I'm not where I want to be financially guess what? It's because of my own behaviors,
1: which stinks. Oh yeah, totally. One of the things I tell my kids, and it's just a way of baiting them. uh, I don't know if it's worked yet, but I know it kind of pisses them off and it might cause them to act, you know, but I ask them, you know, what are the things they can't resist buying? You know, can they not resist buying the Pepsi? Okay. Imagine every single person around you can't resist it as well wouldn't it be smart to resist it for just a week and then buy a share of Pepsi. Uh-huh. And then all the people that can't resist it, you're going to make money on as long as you own that little small, small, small portion of the company. And so we work through that little, and they're like, wait a minute, I can take advantage of everybody's inability to control their consumptive habits. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. absolutely little. So yeah, you, and can, you can do that with very little money too. I mean, a couple of shares yeah. of a stock is not out of reach for, for a lot of people. So Mm-mm. Well, that's awesome. Well, I've enjoyed getting to know your some of your philosophies, and I think that um, you know cash flow is so important, and building wealth and looking at money as a tool is so important. So, if anybody had any interest in working with you on any type of real estate questions, or um, just wanted you to point them in the right direction, how would they get in touch with you personally?
1: Best thing to do would be to just uh, email me at david at Legacy Rep dot com okay and yep. i'll up
0: uh, i'll put that in the show notes and um yeah anybody who's who's just looking for some good honest feedback and and and, and, and direction uh in the right way uh david redmond will point you in the right direction so joy chatting with you maybe we'll have you on again and uh i believe i will see you on a zoom call uh at 6 a.m this friday morning
1: <laughs> yes, sir looking forward right. to it brother
0: good deal awesome thanks for being on
1: all right. Thank you, David.
0: So there was a ton of information uh, in that podcast. And really what I wanted everybody to get out of is there's so many different ways to build wealth and and uh, commercial real estate could be one of them. So if you have any questions or wanted just to chit-chat, email david at legacyrep.com. And David Redmond will be glad to uh, correspond with you and and hopefully point you in the right direction. A couple more items of housekeeping. Please take a second to like and subscribe to this podcast on the platform where you're listening. And if you have any questions about your own personal finances, uh, please email me at david at Please keep a lookout for our website that will be coming out pretty soon, and we look forward to next week and wish you a blessed week.